I want the work to be accessible. Good images. Simple, clear, interesting language. Tell the story. This is Object, a podcast about design and contemporary craft in Australia. I'm your host, Lisa Carl from the Australian Design Centre. In this series, you'll learn all about ceramics. You'll hear about making handmade pottery on a large scale, how you teach ceramics. We'll talk to writers and photographers, and we'll go behind the scenes with curators and art dealers to hear about collecting. Let's meet Robin Phelan. Robin is a writer, a ceramic artist, and an educator. She writes regularly for the Journal of Australian Ceramics. And her other writing includes exhibition text and catalogues, reviews and articles. In this episode, you'll hear how Robin became a writer. What makes a good piece of writing about visual art? How we might get critique back into Australian arts commentary and her tips for new arts writers. You'll also hear from fine art photographer Greg Piper on how to photograph ceramics. And by the way, when Robin or I mention the Jack, we mean the Journal of Australian Ceramics, published three times a year by the Australian Ceramics Association. So Robin, thanks so much for taking time to be part of this special series of object podcasts focusing on ceramics. Hi, I'm coming to you from Melbourne, Wurundjeri country. I grew up a lot in this area too, in Nam, and I've lived along rivers, the Mooney Mooney, and spent a lot of time in Tongrong land as well, but all Eastern Kulin nations, all unceded lands. Can you tell me a little bit about your story, particularly how you came to ceramics? How I came to ceramics, I've always been a bit of a muddy person, but initially I did a degree in arts and crafts secondary teaching. How specific is that? Like, that's, this is seriously 1980s, isn't it? <laughs> so I was a ceramics teacher in secondary school. While I was loving the classroom and loved the students, I was starting to do a whole lot of little exhibitions. And then I went overseas. And when I was on a train in Italy, this girl was saying, oh, I just spoke to this other girl in Melbourne. She's doing this subject called museum management or something. I went, oh. <laughs> so I called a girlfriend and via fax <laughs> applied to do the curatorial course. Studied that and ended up with a life in registration at NGV. I was again, obsessed with objects. First time I put my hands on a Patsy Healy. What was that Patsy Healy work? I absolutely know what it was because it had found objects in it. Those 1960s, and I grew up with this, these saucepans, with the anodized coloured lids and the little Bakelite lid and then the Bakelite little knobby handle. Oh, yes. Well, she had tiny little versions of those and she'd made beautiful porcelain vessels that fitted these pots. My eye just went, oh, wow, look at that. It's it's. It's thrown beautiful ceramics, but it's contemporary. It's using found objects. Mm-hmm. But it was also an echo to domestic history, wasn't it, those pots? Yeah, and everyday domestic history. And this this sat within this incredible collection of deck arts mm. and Asian arts, of which Gwen Hanson Piggott was inspired to start making ceramics. So, oh, look at that. I can make a link to myself to Gwen Hanson Piggott. <laughs> but, yeah, walking through that collection is incredible. Mm. Then I, I was pregnant and went, 
I think I'm going to study ceramics. Mm. And my lecturer then was preventables. Well, you've managed, Robin, to mention people who are so pivotal and important in the history and the current field of ceramics in Australia today in just a few mm-hmm. short sentences. So, so that really goes to show that you are so embedded in mm-hmm. the ceramics community. And I know as a writer, you know, you've been writing about ceramics and craft practice mm. for a couple of decades. Yeah. I first started writing for the local newspaper, the Northwest Neighbourhood News, because there were lots of little galleries around there. And I was a bit nervous about writing, even though I do like to write. I didn't feel I could pitch to a contemporary journal. I just didn't know how to do that. I just would write about the exhibitions in the local newspaper and they were happy to take the content. And I did that for a couple of years and that really honed my skills. The next thing I did, I set up a blog and it's called Looking With Soft Eyes, which is a statement that comes from the TV series The Wire. And the detective is talking about, don't go in hard and try and find the evidence. Go in softly and see what comes to you. And that's how you see an exhibition. I've also written for online journals. Artists asked me to write about their work. And of course, I offered to do the Victorian component for the journal, which I did for free, but it was really good practice. Ah, so you did the Victorian report for the Jack. Yeah, for 10 years. Yeah. Theme, get to the nub of it, good photographs. And I had to be down to 200, 300 words. That's really good practice. I think that's part of the generosity that, you know, I'm struck with in the ceramics world is many ceramic artists are writing, teaching, Mm. passing on skill. You know, it really is a very generous community that I think the Jack as a a hold all, I suppose, for that community and then an expression of that community through its writings and through its issues over the decades has really encapsulated, do you think? Definitely, yeah. The visuals are there, which are important. See the visuals and then go to the text. So you can go deeper, but it's an intimate thing. It's in your hand as well. That's A5 size. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's armchair size, bedside table size. It's good. And then, of course, from the journal, I get to be asked to do exhibition writing. What makes a good piece of writing about visual art? Mm. I think you have to be in the exhibition. That's really important to me. Or you have to have been with the work. I love that sense of, you know, embodying the work, embodying the work in space and experiencing the work as is presented either by a curator or by an artist in a space because you need to be able to see the surfaces. And I think in a a show, the opening lines is what do you see? What do you feel? That hook, something that, that breaks down the distance between the reader and the writer. I went here, I saw this, I felt this, I observed this with my eyes. I think that's the first hook. And then... Really, and this is the hardest thing, is to have something to say (laughs) that's interesting. Yeah. And so can you perhaps describe a piece of writing you've written about a particular exhibition and what did you have to say about that show? Was it easy to discover that or did you need to spend a lot of time with the exhibition and the work to find that hook? Mm. Damon Moon had this incredible series of exhibitions based on his skittle form, based on a vase shape by William State Murray, who was a British designer. 
I wonder whether someone said, oh, Damon, that looks like a skittle, and so he's continued to use that word. It's quite large. It's probably about 40 centimetres, so probably a bit bigger than a bowling alley skittle, and it's very modern, no ornamentation whatsoever. So it's perfect for slip casting, which Damon uses. This object can carry any glaze or any manipulation, and it tells this other story, which is what I loved it. Damon has densely layered academic theoretical details. But really, it was about three different spaces at Bendigo. So I said to him, look, I'm only going to do this if I can get to all the spaces and see all the work. So it was about, it was about the object and also about how the object was displayed in three different contexts. Yes, I remember writing, I was imagining, especially with one of the terracotta forms that had some punctuations, and I was just imagining him pulling it out of the plaster mould, this terracotta, chocolatey-coloured, soft, leather-hard thing, and just poking his fingers through. And I'm thinking, I bet Damon as a little boy at Easter got that bunny form and just (laughs) did a real crunch onto the ear, or maybe it was that kid that broke it down. I was just wondering, you know, what did he do? With his Easter eggs at Easter. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we might have to ask him. <laughs> Greg Piper is a fine art photographer. He photographs artists and their work for exhibitions and publications. So what makes a good photograph of a ceramic artwork is very subjective, but usually my go-to is the selection of appropriate mood based around intensity and shadow. Photography is not just adding light, it's adding shadows because shadows influence how an artwork appears. And there are particular styles that you see radiate out of various parts of the globe. So the Japanese might have dark space and little kisses of light enveloping an artwork. It might be in dimly lit mood At present, there are trends of what I tend to call bland, shadowless, white-on-white images where the artwork appears as a two-dimensional object and doesn't really reveal that it's got depth and roundness. But that's a particular style, a trend, and sometimes that's dictated by a gallery or a magazine. We would be asking what is the narrative first and foremost, How do I get my narrative across with my imagery? Has that been thought in advance? So do you bring leaf matter or something green or the like into your shot to help convey that style, that influence? And, of course, it may be that the pieces are photographed in location, outdoors. We would then be looking at what are the features, the textures, the shape of form, the lighting appropriate, whether we put it in an isolated context or whether it becomes something sitting within a, a room setting or something uh, that is uh, assisted with propping. But that said, the majority of cases, it's important to stay true to the artwork you produce and bring out the features that you have put into it. So you may find the surface texture needs to be shown, that it's either rough or smooth terrain. You can have graffito or other elements uh, attached or uh, etched into 
So it's important that the viewer is able to see those elements because it's trying to create a, a moment where the viewer will stop. And that's one of the things of mobile phone usage, that people become skimmers and they are flicking through an abundance of imagery. The challenge is trying to make the viewer stop. Then in turn, the composition and the point of view of whether we're looking down on something or side or below. And I often ask an artist, well, where's your primary viewpoint? You have looked at this piece for days, weeks, months, and you must find that it, it sits in your gaze at a particular view. So is that the primary viewpoint that you go back to? Or how about we look at it from this perspective? Or let's rotate it. So developing the way the audience will look at that work. We often say, which is primary, secondary and tertiary viewpoints. And then we have details. And often the artist is surprised when we reveal some minute element within and they go, oh, I didn't realise that was there. So those combinations help develop you and your way of seeing your own work. And that becomes really, really important. So with writing for an exhibition, Robin, what are the features that where we would know that it was Robin Phelan citation in an exhibition as opposed to someone else's? It would be short, no more than 200 words, maybe 180. And I'm hoping that it's not doesn't use highfalutin language, you know, art speak. And I'm hoping that it would capture you in the first few words. And I hope that it doesn't just tell you what you're already looking at, but it, it, it expands what you're looking at in the space. Fantastic. And as a writer and a researcher, do you write about your own exhibitions? I've actually got the first sentence for the recent exhibition, which I do like. I can read that out now. Mm. Baskets hold, gather and store. The utility is enriched by their ease and fit to the human body as they assist in the labour of carrying. Skilled hands are required to carry or craft a basket form, often with make-do materials. So what you were looking at when you read that text was a whole lot of heavily textured ceramic vases, really, with big handles on them suspended from the roof by twine made by my denim jeans. So you were looking at ceramic forms, but I'm telling you it's a basket. The language and the words adds to the visual of the artwork. And that's what I wanted people to hear that, and to think about weaving as a surface, not just a ceramic surface. So that's that kind of idea of the supplemental information that adds to what you're actually looking at. Mm -hmm. And the exhibition was called The Weight of Waiting, and it's combined works that I made during lockdown and pre-lockdown, playing with this idea of gravity and heaviness of that waiting time and also the weight of, of clay suspended using textiles that I plied from shredded denim jeans that my neighbourhood gave me during lockdown. The wall text is really important to me, but it can't be too long we can fall into the trap of being too text heavy. Think about going to a blockbuster shows and everyone's piling up at the threshold, What you know, doing this great big screed. 
ideas and words are visual as well. I think you can have very subtle keywords spatially arranged and they can add to a deeper understanding of the work or prompt ideas that are really important to the maker to expand the work or give an insight on what I would like people to know. Just talking to you, Robin, you can see that you have a love of language and that obviously finds its way into writing and and then into your practice. And it's kind of circular, isn't it, in a way? Definitely. Yes, it is. I do write with the work, which I now know is called field notes, and it comes from anthropology. Anthropologists would be in a community with the people and writing at the time. If I'm writing in my studio, I will write with the work. It's not just, oh, I've used 2% of that stain into that terrace gelata. It's not process, uh, technical process. It's about how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what I've observed. And that's all, all in the journal at the same time. So journaling is a really important part of your practice as a ceramicist, but also your practice as a writer. Yeah, the journal is very important to me. And that's that's come from being a mum as well. So I'm late to practice. I started studying when I had a six-month-old. So it's always the last thing on the list. And sometimes you don't get to the studio. Oh, I don't have a studio. So the journal is always there. Fantastic. So, yeah, there's sort of certainly field notes that I write at the time of making or how I'm feeling. Because my artwork is a lot is about the combination of my body material, which is clay or textiles, and the site. How I'm feeling as a person in the space at this time that I've chosen to make. So it's important that I write about what is just happening or is happening to me. And we all have to write artist statements. And I do teach to the artist statement um, with, with my students. And I suppose the key tip there is is if you can get it down to a couple of sentences, but there's why we make art and why we feel creative in an artist statement. And then the second part is, what is this work about? What is this particular project? So there's two distinct things, you as an artist and what you like to do, then what is this? And in this exhibition or in this particular Instagram post, I'm doing this. So that's kind of two general tips to kind of frame what to write about. Um, with an artist statement. Would you say, Robin, that social media has provided a, a channel for your writing? Yes. I won't say yes in, you know, uh, amount of words per day written, but when you write, it's important to have something to say and what it is you want to achieve. And with my Instagram, I see it as a diary, really. I tell a story of what I'm making or thinking about as far as my practice is concerned. And I I say to myself, I'll only post once a week, twice, if that. But it's great though, isn't it? Because, I mean, it gives you the visual, the work that you're working on, and then it gives you, you know, a certain character limit of space to write about that work. And you are really constrained within the brevity of the medium. I prefer to write less for that, get a really succinct statement, almost like a title. It's just not the format in which to read long screens, yeah. although yeah. I will do from other people. But that, that's that's where that's my thinking around Instagram. It's a great thing. It's what it's probably why I haven't done much blogging anymore. Mm. The 
other reason to have your work photographed is it's archiving your work. I made this. I did this. And drawing that material for exhibition invites and promotions, the like, you may find that someone is researching the style of your work and want to include it in a publication, which then means you've got to find a high-resolution image. It may be that you end up with three folders of data, some you may never use, but it is a starting point and it allows you then to act quickly. I give people a TIFF folder of images. I then give them a high-res JPEG folder of their images and then I give them an sRGB folder scaled and set up for Instagram and Facebook straight away. Some mobile phones can and some can't provide you with that material or that level of quality. That if you are submitting images to a competition, often the archive is where you will draw that because that's probably where you'll have your best image of a particular piece to submit straight away. Often the pot or the plate or the artwork will be acquired and then disappear out of view. And then there's no evidence that it existed, but to a small select group of people. So that is why I feel an artist needs to have their work photographed. What about when you're faced with a piece of critical writing that requires you to be true to yourself and your impression of a particular exhibition and when, you know, that might be a negative impression? How, how, do, you, how do you navigate that? Look, I'm going to be provocative. I don't think we have a critical review culture in Australia at all. I've stopped reading the newspapers because they don't really review ceramics and the, probably the last person that critically reviewed ceramics was... Robert Nelson in Melbourne, and that would be the 90s. Um, there's so little critique around contemporary ceramic practice and contemporary art. I, I think I see it as a waste of time to be overly negative and horrible, or not horrible, negative and critical. If there's so little writing, make it optimistic and impassioned and mm. spread the good news stories. If I have to write something critical, in the past I have written for people and I've mentioned something that gently that I thought was an issue and you do get pinged on it, but they tend not to change. I would like critique. It is hard to get critique, but you've got to weigh up whether the person wants to hear it or not. Yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? It is hard. I mean, you know, the theatre world is, uh, I think, still, I still read good critical reviews. Look, Lisa, I might be wrong. Do you think I'm wrong on in that? I don't think you're wrong at all. I don't think you're wrong. And the reason I don't think you're wrong is because there are so few publications. Mm. And so, you know, what do people want to read? Well, do they necessarily want to read, you know, highly critical in so few pages that we have available to us. But I think we should. I think we should be doing it more because I think mm. that's the only way mm. that uh, artists are going to really get a really 
good appraisal of the way their work appears in a public setting. Mm. It's almost like we have to. We have to do it. If work is in a public setting, then it needs to be critiqued. Yeah, and I'm just thinking maybe critique isn't about critical critique. Maybe critique will happen in the Jack in the future around issues and concepts. So it's not pointing at a particular person's work output or work outcome, which we want to celebrate because it's so hard to get an exhibition together and up. Maybe the critique is around something that's a burning issue and that's how we bring people in to debate things. Critical writing is good for the practice. It's good for the industry. It's good for the sector to have that critical writing that comes out. It doesn't all have to be about how great everything is, you know? Mm. The writer or someone that you're opening is saying, why did you do that there? That has the potential to be this. That's an expansion. Take it on. That's right. That's, mm. that's what I'm talking about. You know, not negative, but more more constructive, expansive, generous. Robin, what would be your top three tips for emerging arts writers? Be warm and really engaging when you write about the work. Show that you love it and you are, do love it because you're writing about it. Understand the history of the technique. You know, we stand on the shoulders of a long, long tradition of clay and ceramics. So, you know, always call that to attention. And if you don't know as a new writer, ask. There's plenty of established ceramic artists that say, in this pot here, does that look like, oh, who does work does this look like? What part of cultural history or what Australian ceramic history does that belong to? Acknowledge the legacy and, um, you know, enjoy and savour writing about what you see in front of you and what you love about it. The glaze quality, the volumes and the scales of the work and how it makes you feel and how you want to peer into it because it's a three-dimensional object and that's the joy of it. Spend your time, do the work, do some research. You really just got to get the words down and spend the time and it will come to you. That was writer and artist Robin Phelan. What I took from this conversation was Robin's thoughts about the power of writing in different contexts to amplify the artist's work and ideas in wall texts and catalogues, journal articles and social media. I found it interesting how Robin's writing practice extends to her own work in field notes and journaling. And I valued her guiding principles for writing about artwork clarity, simplicity and accessibility for audiences. To see photos of Robin's work and links to her writing, go to our website, australiandesigncentre.com slash podcast. The final episode of Object for Series 2 is about museums, public galleries and ceramics with Curator of Arts and Design at the Powerhouse Museum, Eva Chen Israel. So there's always the curatorial eye and everybody has a different one. You try as much as you can to be impartial and inevitably you always go for your instinct and you respond to it in your personal way. Object is a podcast of the Australian Design Centre. We'd like to thank Visions of Australia, the federal government's regional exhibition touring program for funding support towards this podcast. Object is produced by Jane Curtis in collaboration with Lisa Carl and Alex Fiveash. Sound engineering is by John Jacobs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>